Okay, that should be good. <clears throat> All right, we're back, everyone. I'm here once more with Jay Pilek, Joseph, at his home in the old bank. Specifically, we're in his kitchenette, sitting at his table, enjoying some lovely coffee. And we're together again because... Why are we together again? Well, I was just about to say, if you'd not interrupt, rude. You wouldn't say on the phone why you wanted to meet. I wanted it to be a surprise. What, you don't like surprises? Mm, not like this. So, what are we doing? Well, as you know, our first episode dropped about a week ago, and there's been a huge response. I actually made a promo for this podcast that aired during Circle City Supernatural. And, as I'd hoped, it seems to have brought in a lot of local listeners. Okay. I feel like you were reluctant to be a part of the podcast because of public opinion about you. That you were concerned everyone in Circle City still thinks you're a... A total fraud? Yes, that. But I wanted to show you that's just not true anymore. Uh-huh. And how exactly were you going to do that? We created a website for this podcast, EndlessElsewhere.com, and invited people to use it to get in touch with us. We've been collecting emails and voice messages. Hang on, have you actually read or listened to any of these yet? No, I thought it would be more fun if we did it together. <sighs> I don't think this is going to go the way you think it's going to go, Lindsay. Don't be like that. Stay positive. I have a good feeling. With the amount of downloads that first episode got, there must be some good stuff in here. For the listener, I have my laptop with me today, and we're going to find out what you, the audience, thinks of our show. <laughs> oh, here we go. Let's start with an email, shall we? I'll read it. This one comes from, well, I probably shouldn't read someone's email address on the show, huh? Anyway, it says, Hey, Lindsay, love the show. I only started listening to Circle City Supernatural when you took over for that old guy. Mm. And now you have a podcast, too. That's great. The more we get from you, the better. You're the best. I could listen to your voice all the time. I actually met you in person at the Halloween festival you were the MC of last year, and I gotta say, you do not have a face for radio. Seriously, I could listen to you all the time, but I could look at you all the time, too. You probably get this a lot, but would you ever be open to... Well, it just goes on like that. Hang on, there's a part at the bottom here. P.S. What's up with that weirdo you've been talking to? He's dragging his feet about doing a podcast with you? Really? I would do a podcast with you in a heartbeat. What an idiot. You shouldn't bother with him. And isn't he like a con man and maybe a murderer? Okay. Sorry, Joseph. That's not what I was hoping for. Let's try one of the voice messages. Oh, yes. Let's. Here's one of the earliest to come in. Yeah, hey, just finished your first episode, and it was pretty okay, I guess. There were some creepy parts. Funny parts, too. I like that. But listen, between you and me, you gotta get yourself away from that collector guy. You seem like a cool chick. Don't let that weirdo get his claws in you. You don't know him like the rest of this town does. He's not a great dude. Seriously. But I did like that part at the bank with the secret door. The book is the hidden latch. Revel Tetris or whatever. That was pretty cool. Even if that gag has been done to death. Alright, that's it. Later. Well, I guess the headline here is that everyone seems to like you. Hang on, hang on. There's got to be something. Hello there, Lindsay. I really like your pod show. My granddaughter helped me listen to it. I think you have a very kind voice. You seem like a good young lady. But listen, dear, you need to ditch that collector guy. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Are you going to leave that in the show? Of course not. We'll bleep it. He's a real piece of <laughs> Spreading his 
sh**. And now he's pulled you into his web of sh**. Take it from a lady who's seen some sh**. He's only going to bring you down. That Anyway, goodbye for now, sweetheart. Love the poncho. <laughs> well, this was fun. I'm really glad we did this. Thanks for stopping by, Lindsay. Wait, there's got to be at least one. Mr. Leck, long time. Listen, we... we need to speak. Immediately. You don't know what you've done. It's about the painting. Please, get in touch. Call me at... Why'd you stop it? We really don't need to keep at this. They're all going to be the same. I'm sorry, Joseph. I didn't know it was going to be this bad. I thought the podcast would help, that people would get to know the real you and be... It's okay. Really. I'm used to it. It's not okay. I need your help with this show, and I was hoping that if people were behind you, then maybe... I don't need anyone behind me to help you, Lindsay. You don't? Does that mean you're going to be part of the show? For as long as you need me to be. Wow, thanks. Can I ask why? I don't need this town behind me, but if you are, well, that can be good enough. All right, then. Look out, Circle City, here we come. This is the Endless Elsewhere Podcast, Chapter 2, The Inheritors. And now that we have all that nonsense out of the way, I actually have something for you. A possible lead on Dr. Zhao. Wow, really? Don't get too excited, it's not likely to yield much fruit. Still, anything is something. I've been thinking about the phone call you played for me last time, from your show. It was something that Dr. Zhao said. He was in a restaurant that didn't serve tea. Remember him saying that? He also mentioned that he heard your show on the radio because the waitress had turned it on. Are those clues of some kind? They were to me, anyway. I'm pretty sure I know exactly where he was. We left the bank and loaded into Joseph's pickup truck, a rattle trap of rust, parked in an alley behind the bank. He drove us to a little greasy spoon on the far east side of town. As we pulled up, I saw the sign out front. Joe's Diner, huh? Your namesake. Is that why you come here? They serve the best cup of my other namesake. That's why I come here. The place was eclectic, kitschy, a 50s throwback. Checkered floor, hot pink walls, cold blue upholstery, memorabilia galore. Lots of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. You get the picture. The place was also very small, seating only a couple dozen at a time. But at the moment, there was no one but us in the diner. Well, there was one other. Mr. Luck, you're back. It's been ages. Hello, Piper. From the swinging kitchen door had come a waitress. She was a tall, willowy young woman with a pretty smile that widened when she saw my companion. How have you been? I've been okay. You? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Who's your friend? Hi, I'm Lindsay. Malin, the host of Circle City Supernatural. That's me. I knew your voice immediately. I have you on every night. Piper jerked a thumb over her shoulder to an old radio sitting on the counter. We just love your show, don't we, Mr. Leck? But I'm sure he must have told you all about... Uh, Piper, we wanted to ask you about a customer of yours, a Chinese gentleman. He would have come in last Halloween. Do you remember him? I know it's been a while. Sure, I remember him. Came in asking for a cup of oolong. I looked at him like, where do you think you are, bud? I had your show on, same as always, and he seemed to take an interest. I think it's the only reason he stuck around. About halfway through, he asked to borrow the phone, and soon enough, he was talking to you, Lindsay. 
told that story about a machine and a black hole. It was actually a wormhole. Oh right, a wormhole. Crazy stuff. Did you see where he went? After the call was interrupted, I mean. Did he hang around for a while or leave immediately? Oh, he took off right after. Seemed spooked. Because the call was disconnected. I guess. He was out the door before Lindsay here came back on the air and asked for him to call her back. That's why he didn't, by the way. He didn't hear any of that. Was he on foot or did he have a car? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I remember the parking lot was empty, and I only remember that because about ten minutes after your fellow left, the SUV pulled in. No one ever got out though. Just sat there for a long while, headlights shining into these front windows here. I figured it was some creepist, so I called the police. But the SUV cleared out before I was even off the phone. I didn't connect it with your guy, though. Do you think, like, was someone after him or something? I assume you didn't get a plate number, but was there any markings on this SUV? Anything distinctive at all about it? Nope, just all black. So what's going on, guys? You're recording this. Is it for the show? No, it's for a podcast that I've begun. Joseph is helping me with it. Oh, okay. You two working together? It's about time. So, what's the show called? The Endless Elsewhere Podcast. Ooh, good name. I'll have to give it a listen. So, was that all you two needed, or were you wanting to eat? Yeah, I think we'll stay. That is, if you want to, Lindsay. Sure. We do have the place to ourselves. You sure do. It's always slow this time of day. Pick any booth you like, and I'll go get a fresh pot going for you guys. Thanks, Piper. Piper went off to make the coffee while Joseph and I took the corner booth in the back. I left the recorder running. So, Piper has Circle City Supernatural on every night, huh? For as long as I've been coming here, since the Kadera days. Joseph was referring to my predecessor, Ray Kadera, who you may recall was mentioned at the start of our previous episode. He was the creator of Circle City Supernatural and its host for decades before finally retiring. He passed away not long after doing so. Did you get to know Ray? A bit. It was a pretty quick transition. He wanted it to be as seamless as possible. Ray didn't want a single night to go by without his show on the air. I feel like Ray knew he was near the end, you know? Of the show? Of life. And that's why he was so quick to pass the torch. It's a common enough story. These people who spend their whole lives working, and when they finally stop, well, they stop forever. He had his final episode, then I picked up the very next night. Oh, that must have been daunting. I had no idea what I was in for. I didn't realize just how deeply devoted his listeners were but I totally get it. When you spent years listening to one voice, only for that voice to suddenly change, it was hard for people. To accept me, that is. While Ray handpicked me to replace him, I think a lot of the audience thought that I had usurped him. Usurped. That's a word I learned from you, by the way. But yeah, it was difficult to ingratiate myself with his audience, but I like a challenge and I persisted. And prevailed, I'd say. You've done well to maintain the original spirit of the show while making it all your own. That's sweet, thank you. So, and I meant to ask you about this earlier, but when we first met that day at the bank, you recognized my voice, like the waitress just did. Are you a listener? I was. Not in a while, though. Did you ever meet Ray? Not in person, but he did appear in my work. Oh? Ray Kadera was his on-air pseudonym, which, why don't you have one of those? I thought all radio people did. It always felt disingenuous to me, so I never bothered. (laughs) That sounds like you. Well, I knew your predecessor by his real name, Ray Benton. He and his brother Rex were on my radar for some time. How so? Rex Benton is referenced by name in the third manuscript when he was just a boy. Wow. How did he figure in? 
unsubstantially, he's little more than a mention, but what is really interesting is that years later, Rex would become a book bearer. Oh, ironic. Or providential, depending on where your sensibilities lie. Book bearers. That's a person who carried one of the three Pendergast manuscripts for a time before handing it off to another. Sorry, I have to recap things for the audience. No worries. So, the first manuscript, the one with the spiral emblem, that was passed to Rex in the 1960s. He was challenged by the content of the book, and it would both inspire and inform what would become his life's work. Which was what? Mm, the, uh, the... The pursuit and forcible removal of, let's call them, malevolent non-human entities. He hunted monsters? I know how it sounds. Rex Benton came to Circle City not long after inheriting the manuscript and ended up staying here permanently. Why? Rex found there to be an inexplicable concentration of the otherworldly in and around this town. Later, his brother Ray, who had been away in the Vietnam War, joined him here, got into radio, and started... Circle City Supernatural. Yes, and it is my belief that Ray only did so to assist his brother. Wait, what? You're saying he... Why? For what? Leads. Leads? You think that's what the show was for? The Benton brothers figured that if they had a nightly program in which people call in to report their encounters with the otherworldly, then... It would help them hunt these things down? I've never heard anything about this. You wouldn't have. The two of them worked in near-perfect secrecy for decades. Do you know what happened to Rex? He died a few years before Ray did, but in the same way that Ray passed his show to you, Rex passed his book on to another. A new book bearer. One of the last. Her name was Violet, and she was likewise affected by the manuscript, taking up Rex's work. Hunting monsters? Indeed. After her time with the book, she was to then pass it on to the Polydors. Those journalists you worked with? The ones who were... Yes. Caitlin wrote for the Circle City Chronicle and her husband Brian ran the Vigilante, an online periodical. The couple were to eventually end up with not just one, but two of the three Pendergast manuscripts. The first was given to them, the second they found by accident. Wow. Some people have all the luck, huh? I approached the Polydors about working together, but they rebuffed me, only to give in later. Hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> what changed their minds? They eventually realized the importance of the books and that I could offer unique assistance in their study. The three of us pooled our research and collaborated to find the third manuscript. But, just as we were closing in on it... They were murdered. I continued on alone after that, to finish the story for them. As journalist, it was the best I could offer, the only way to truly honor their memory. It's what they would have wanted. And I was successful. I found the third book, uniting the three for the first time in almost 70 years. I was the final book bearer. There would be no more after me as I put them into print for all the world to read. And, well, you know the rest from there. Joseph, do you know who killed them? Or why that other woman was found with them? The case remains open to this day. Caitlin and Brian, along with Margot Fletcher, were killed by a... Uh... A malevolent non-human entity? Yes. You said the Bentons moved to Circle City because they discovered there to be a concentration of these things here. Did they ever discover why? The place is cursed. If there's a reason why, none can say. Please excuse me for a moment. Joseph rose and stepped away from the booth. He went to the bathroom, but I think he did so only as an excuse to hide the emotion that had been brought up by the discussion. You can't really hear it in his voice, but there was no hiding it in his eyes, which had reddened as he spoke. The Polydors had been more than his collaborators. 
They had been his friends, and their murder had taken its toll. To darken the memory further, Joseph had been briefly eyed as a suspect in those murders, what had aided in the complete ruination of his character during the scandal. While he was gone, Piper came to the booth with fresh coffee. She set the cups on the table, then slid into the empty bench seat across from me where Joseph had been. I was a little surprised by that, but this was, apparently, the quirky nature of the waitress. I'm so glad you guys finally got together. Uh, we're working together. We're not, like, together together. Wait, what do you mean, finally? Didn't he tell you? Mr. Leck used to come in here all the time late at night. He'd sit in this very booth, drink coffee, and do his research. And I'd always have your show on. So I think that's when he started to, you know. What? I think he fell in love with your voice. Whenever you'd talk, he'd get distracted and end up closing his laptop or whatever book he had in front of him. He would just stare at the radio. And when he started coming in here without his work... <laughs> Well, then I knew he was crushing hard on you. But then there was all that ugly business with the books, and he stopped coming in. You know about the scandal? Of course. Have you read the novels? Twice each. I love those stories. Have you read them yet? I haven't, and I probably won't. I'm making this podcast for those unfamiliar with Joseph's work. Oh, man. That's your loss. Those books are great. They have an immortal outlaw, a time-traveling ghost, fairy people, a robot, scary creatures. There's this train, and all of it interwoven with philosophy and theology. They're pretty awesome. But you read them as fiction, yes? Well, that's where it gets sticky, doesn't it? As hard as it is to believe that any of it could actually be real, Mr. Leck is not a liar. Everyone says he is, but I know people. I deal with them all day and night. And he's as honest a man as they come. So when he says they're not fiction, well, I have to believe him. And you should too. Joseph returned to the booth just as Piper was getting up. He did not reclaim his seat, though, but remained standing. Piper, could we get these coffees to go, please? Of course. One second. So soon? I feel like taking a walk. Would you like to take a walk with me? That sounds lovely. Where to? There's a place down the street I'd like to show you. We got our coffee and left the diner. As Joseph drove, I nudged him. You have a fan back there. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Good old Piper. She believes you. About the books, that is. I didn't think you had anyone in your corner. She says you're trustworthy. She should know. Piper's a good soul. A true innocent, if you know what I mean. You can just tell with certain people that they have nothing to hide, you know? Oh, we're here. Already? Wait, we're going into the cemetery? Yeah. Have you ever been here before? I haven't. Then you are in for a treat. Joseph parked his truck just inside the tall, wrought iron gates and we got out. He smiled at me, then started walking. I hurried to keep pace with him. His long strides dwarfed my own. We walked for almost ten minutes without pausing, and no matter which way I turned my head, I couldn't see an end to the place. It just went on and on. I later learned that Circle City Cemetery is one of the largest in the nation, with sprawling grounds whose earliest internments predate the Civil War. If you have the particular sentiment for it, cemeteries can be beautiful places. This one was exceptionally so. The spring air was cool and invigorating. The breeze moved gently through all the many weeping willows that lined the roadway. The roadway that we abruptly abandoned. Joseph turned suddenly, leading me deep into the burial grounds. Here they are. Lindsay, meet Caitlin and Brian Polydor. Oh. We stood now over their graves. The reality of these two people, their lives... And the loss of those lives, it, well, it kind of blindsided me. 
They weren't just a story anymore. Sorry, guys. I haven't been out here in a while. I brought you some coffee, though. Joseph took the lid off of his to-go cup and poured out the liquid on the graves. He told me the Polydors had been every bit of the caffeine junkie he was and that he had performed this ritual many times before at their gravesite. Thank you for sharing this with me. I know it's deeply personal. Oh, this isn't what I wanted to show you. My friends here were just on the way. Follow me. Joseph and I continued on, making our way through what remained of the outer edge of the cemetery where the newer burials took place, to the inner cemetery where the older ones had been made. Apparently the place had begun as just a little graveyard and continuously radiated from there, so the nearer you came to the center of the cemetery, the more aged were the graves, and the more densely clustered they became. We walked, almost waded, among the slanting headstones. Even still, Joseph had no trouble in finding one in particular. It was effaced, crumbling, and overgrown. He knelt to wipe it clean, I leaned over his shoulder to watch. Who's this now? Can't be another friend of yours. (laughs) No. I mean, not yet, anyway. Not yet? There. Can you read that? It's so weathered. I I can't really. Win... Winston? Charlie Winston. Charlie Winston. Why does that name sound familiar? Well, you haven't read the books, but you've probably heard the folktale. The man who couldn't die, right? He sold his soul to the devil for eternal life or something? He didn't sell his soul to the devil. Why do people always get that wrong? No, he was an Old West gravedigger who, while toiling away in the churchyard one night, met the Death Angel. The Death Angel? Like the Grim Reaper? Right. Story goes, they chatted through the night, getting along famously, but then somewhere along the way, an argument erupted. To settle it, they made a wager and played a game, although what that game was has been lost to time. The only thing we do know is that Charlie won by cheating. He was the man who literally cheated death. Wow. So what did he win? Immortality. Or as close to immortality as one can get. The Death Angel agreed not to claim Charlie Winston until the end of time, meaning that he will walk this earth until Judgment Day, deathless. The deathless Charlie Winston. I have heard that story. Wait, you said he was in the books? So this guy was, is, supposedly real? Very much so. How does he fit into the story? He was recruited by the Cabal, just as Pendergast was, for that mission into the Land of Phantoms where they all met Clarence Grindle. Charlie Winston was the one who killed Grindle's host. The little boy? You asked who could heartlessly kill a child. Well, now you know. Also, the painting I showed you. The only surviving piece of Grindel's art. Yeah, it was Winston who took it from the Land of Phantoms. He's the reason it ended up in the world. I don't know how or when it became separated from him, but it passed through many owners over the years, eventually ending up in Circle City. And with me. How did you get it? It was given to me. By whom? Mm, Let's save that for another time. Fair enough. Well, we're standing at his grave. So I guess Charlie Winston wasn't that deathless after all. Charlie Winston, the man who dug so many, will never have a grave of his own. He's not beneath us, Lindsay. This grave, it is a fake. A fake? Pendergast bought this plot and used it to hide something. He had that headstone engraved with Charlie's name as a joke more than anything. Pendergast was here? In Circle City? He lived here for a time after he defected from the Cabal and went into hiding. He was from the New England area, but his family had originally put their roots down here in the Midwest. His ancestral home actually stood just outside of town somewhere, but it's long gone. Why did he hide something here in the cemetery instead of on his own property? 
because this was the better, maybe the only place to hide a casket. I'm sorry? <laughs> okay, so last time I explained that when Grendel and Pendergast met in the Land of Phantoms, the Time Traveler told the great scientist where to find the orb, remember? You said that while Grendel was in the past, the ancient past of Egypt, he was to find the orb and hide the vessel where it would not be found until the modern era. Precisely. The man whose body Grindel usurped just so happened to be a high-ranking member of the pharaoh's court, a magician of all things named Ka Phenotep. With the clout of this man, Grindel was able to quietly construct an inverted subterranean pyramid at the pinnacle of which, deep in the earth, was the orb to be interred with Ka Phenotep upon his death. And that's where Pendergast found it? Yes, but Pendergast was not allowed to open the sarcophagus then and there to remove the orb. You see, he had a local team of porters with him who refused to let Pendergast break the ancient seal. Terrible curses and all that. So he had to bring the whole thing home with him? Yep. He smuggled the sarcophagus out of the country and had it brought all the way back here. But, like I said, this was around the time that he had defected from the Cabal, so he was a man on the run. When he returned to the U.S. with his prize, they picked up his trail and were dogging his heels. Pendergast knew that if he was captured, then so too was the orb, the very thing he was trying to keep out of the hands of the Cabal. So instead of taking it to his house, he had an ancient Egyptian sarcophagus buried here in a modern American cemetery. The dude was a genius. So when the coast was clear, he came back and dug it up? He did. And inside was the mummy of Ka Phenotep, clutching the orb just as he knew it would be. But the coast wasn't exactly clear. Operatives from the Cabal had been following Pendergast, and they attacked him and his servants as they disinterred the sarcophagus. Pendergast would have been taken if not for the assistance of a stranger who just so happened to be in the cemetery that night. Who was that? It was the man who ended up being Pendergast's second chronicler. He wrote the green book with the compass rose on it. He saved Pendergast, then decided to go with him. The man couldn't have imagined that he'd be joining the great scientist on a journey to another world, nor could he have imagined that he'd end up staying there, having found love with one of the native women. He thought it was something he would never know again, but he was wrong. What? Love? Joseph didn't answer. He was looking to a nearby angel statue and left his eyes on her. Remember, Joseph told me previously that the natives of this other world were much like our own species, although they were winged. His eyes came back to me rather unconsciously. When he realized he was staring, Joseph blinked and quickly looked away. <clears throat> anyway, that's the story on that. So what happened to it? The orb? Remember, it was eventually left on the other world. No, no, the sarcophagus. Oh, yeah. It's still here. They reburied it that night. Wait, you're saying it's right here, under our feet? That if we got some shovels and started digging, we'd find an ancient sarcophagus? That is correct. Wouldn't that be some pretty compelling proof for the veracity of your books? Have you tried to- Get permission from the owners of the cemetery and the city itself to perform an exhumation? Yes, I have. To no avail. That must be maddening. To know it's right here, yet just beyond your reach. Yeah, it is. It is maddening. I think if I were you, I'd come here in the middle of the night and dig it up anyway. Just like Pendergast did. You'd get in trouble, but at least the truth would come to light. This cemetery had a rash of grave robberies a while back. They keep pretty tight security these days. I'd be caught before I was a foot deep. So, yeah, I have thought about it. Clearly. <laughs> Wait, did you say there were grave robberies here? Is that still a thing that people do? No, it's not. The grave robber ended up being a... not a person. Another creature? Yeah. 
You were serious earlier when you said this city is crawling with these things. I absolutely was. And when you said this place was cursed? I was serious about that, too. Well, thank you for showing me this. I know it must be- Oh, no, this, this wasn't it either. Come on. We continued on to the heart of the cemetery, where a tall hill thrust dramatically skyward. It was not an easy climb we made, and I for one was huffing by the time we got up the steep side of it, but the view had been worth the effort. The hill overlooked the surrounding region and had a commanding view of the Circle City skyline. It was beautiful. We sat in the grass and talked for nearly two hours, but none of it was about old manuscripts, or secret societies, genius inventors, immortal outlaws, or magic orbs, or anything else you hear on this podcast. We just talked about life. It was a lovely afternoon that turned to evening. The cemetery gates were closed at dusk, so we had to leave. Besides, I had a show to get ready for. I usually try to squeeze a nap in before I go on the air, but that didn't happen. I was pretty drowsy that night. Have a listen. Hello, and welcome to... (sighs) Circle City Supernatural? I don't want to give my name before you can ask. I'm not trying to hide anything. I just prefer to stay anonymous. I'm assuming that's fine. Hey, sure. Whatever you want. Okay, cool. So, I'm not... No, wait. I don't want to say my job either. It's not really important to the story, and you just need to know that I was where I was because of work. And where were you? On one of those back roads outside of town. The kind farmers use for the tractors and whatever. I was supposed to be there. I had reason to be. I wasn't just out wandering an old dirt road. I was working. You've made that very clear, sir. Okay, like I said... This is out of ways, you know, in the country. There's a cornfield on one side of the road. And on the other, there were these sunflowers. Huge things, towering. I don't know if you know this about sunflowers, but they can get to be like 10, 12 feet tall or more. Sure, I know that. But did you know that they move? That they turn toward the rising sun, drag through the sky as the day goes on? Uh, I, I think I've heard that. So is this what you wanted to talk about, sir? Sunflowers? All the sunflowers in that field are facing away from the road, towards the sun perfectly normal. That's important to know, though. So as I was walking along, I hear a rustling off in the field. Stop and look over, and I swear on my grandmother's eyes, one of the sunflowers turned to face me, like it heard me, like it knew I was there. I thought I hallucinated it, but then another one of those giant flowers twisted around to face me, then another one, and another one, and then the whole field of them were all turned toward me now. Then they started to lean forward toward the road, toward me. I think if they weren't rooted to the ground, they would have, you know, come at me. Wow. That's... What did you do? What do you think I did? I hauled my butt back to my truck and put as many miles between me and that place as I could. Incredible. Well, thank you, sir. We appreciate the, uh... The call. Excuse me. All right. Let's move on to... I finished up the show, and Sylvia, as I knew she would, came in to lecture me about trying to do a podcast all day, then a radio show all night that I couldn't burn the candle at both ends, and so on. Apparently, my on-air yawns were considered bad form. I promised that my work with Joseph would not affect my work at the station. She didn't believe me. I didn't believe me either. She just sighed and rolled her eyes, telling me to go home and get some sleep. I said I would, but stuck around until after Sylvia had left so that I could have a private word with Gary, our engineer. You'll remember that he was mentioned, although not by name, in our first episode. You'll also remember that I had said he had been with the station since the 80s. 
which meant he'd spent a lot of time with Ray Kadera and must have known him better than anyone else. I had learned only earlier today that Ray's brother Rex had been one of these book bearers, as Joseph called them, and that his brother may have begun Circle City Supernatural as a way of assisting Rex in the, and I'm quoting Joseph here, the pursuit and forcible removal of malevolent, non-human entities. While Gary had agreed to help me with the podcast, he drew the line at being interviewed on mic, but he was still open to talk. I related to him only some of what Joseph had told me about the Benton brothers, then asked if he had ever seen or heard anything like that in his time at the station. Gary thought hard, but couldn't readily bring anything to mind. Apparently, Ray Kadera was a pretty closed-off guy, and even though they had worked together for ages, their relationship never evolved beyond co-workers. Gary didn't even know Ray's real last name was actually Benton, if that shows you how close they were not. Gary did recall an incident from a few years back, however. He came in early to the station one night and heard who he thought was Ray, but it was actually a man in the booth with Ray. He sounded just like him, apparently. This suggests, to me at least, that it must have been Rex, as siblings often sound alike. When the brothers saw Gary, Ray switched off the mics so that he could not hear their conversation from the control room. Gary could still see the conversation, however, through the window. He went about his work and pretended not to be watching, but it was clear to him by their body language that the brothers were arguing. Gary said this other man, Rex, had a book with him. He kept pointing at it. Gary said it was a weird book, old with a squiggly shape on it. It was at this point that I grabbed my bag and dug out the books Joseph had given me. Recall, he had his designer pattern the books after the original manuscripts. So when I showed Gary the first published novel, the one with the spiral emblem, the resemblance was strong enough to make a match. He nodded, saying that's what it looked like. This confirmed that a Pendergast manuscript had been in the possession of Rex Benton. He had been a book bearer, just as Joseph had said. And if that part was true, then could the rest of it be? If Joseph was right about Rex, then was he also right about Ray and the true reason for Circle City Supernatural? Was the show created to help a couple of monster hunters find their quarry? If so, they had left their mission unaccomplished. This city, according to Joseph, was still infested with these things. But now both Bentons are dead. Their work had outlived them. The book had been bequeathed to another in accordance with the tradition of the book bearers, only to eventually end up with Joseph. Likewise, Circle City Supernatural was handed off to me. So what does that mean? Are Joseph and I the inheritors of the Benton's legacy? Or is it more than just their legacy? If Rex's book fell to Joseph, and Ray's show fell to me, if those torches were passed to us indirectly and directly, are we? Are we supposed to continue the work of the Benton brothers? If this is so, well, it would certainly give all new meaning to the slogan I chose for this podcast. Do good. Fight evil. Repeat. I'm Lindsay Mallon, and this is the Endless Elsewhere Podcast.